Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 2. Uh, we want to pick up where we left off in verse 11. Uh, Paul here, uh, in this second chapter, has been speaking about the righteous judgment of God, uh, that God is always fair. Man is not fair. We, we, we know this. Um, so often, when it comes to judgments that are made, they're made with a bias. Uh, they're made um, with uh, sometimes a particular mindset that is not righteous or true. But when God makes his judgments, they will be faithful and true because he is. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11, uh, through verse 29, through the end of the chapter. And Paul writing here says, For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Uh, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. And who show the law, or the work of the law, rather, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. And that will be in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Uh, indeed, you're called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve of the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And you, you who make your boast uh, in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and your circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray. Lord, we realize as we read this, Lord, the, the fallacy of just having external religion. Lord, we realize that how important it is to know you, the true and the living God. That, Lord, you would not just be on our lips. Lord, you would just not be in our thoughts occasionally. But, Lord, that you would be in our hearts. Lord, we praise you today and we thank you for the cross. And, Father, as we consider the verses here in Romans chapter 2, Lord, we pray that uh, by your Spirit that you'd make application. Lord, I pray, Father, that uh, as we come, Lord, we stand before you as your people. Lord, you see our lives, you see our needs, you see our struggles. Lord, you see the difficulties that we have, and Lord, each one of us, Lord, we need you. We need you continually at work within our lives, within our hearts. So we pray, Father, that you would speak, Lord, by the Holy Spirit today, that you would take your word and you would apply it. And Lord, cause her, we pray, on our hearts and in, in our lives to be open to you, Lord, that there would be a sense of honesty, 
that, Lord, where you speak or where you might point to, uh, where there would be conviction in our lives, that, Lord, we might yield to you. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God of grace. And, Lord, you are so wonderfully fair. Lord, um, and in your fairness, Lord, uh, you have demonstrated your great love for mankind. Lord, in the, in the fact that you have, you have gone to the cross, Lord, which by that great redemptive atoning act, Lord, you have taken our judgment, our punishment, and our sin. Lord, I can't think of anything more fair than that, for you are gracious and kind. So, Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would show us that, Lord, in an individual kind of way, that, Lord, we might realize the importance of the, the constant committal of our lives to you. For, Father, we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the title that we uh, chose this morning is actually taken out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 25, that the people were saying um, about the Lord at that time, like people always do in a sense, uh, they were saying that uh, the way of the Lord is not fair. And, and what had taken place is there had, their sins had really brought them into a difficult place. Um, like one of the other prophets said, they had sown to the wind and they had reaped the whirlwind. Uh, and now what they were doing is they were simply uh, turning, turning the whole situation around saying, well, God, it's your fault. It's your fault that we're in this difficult place. Isn't that amazing how people will have nothing to do at all? Oftentimes, you know, as far as the, 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 the reality of their life and walking with God and knowing God, but as soon as things sort of fall apart, uh, and they fall apart by our own decisions, by our own choices, and, and the things that we felt or thought that, uh, you know, perhaps this will, you know, this will, this, I can work this out on my own, and then it, it miserably falls apart, uh, and then a person will turn around and blame God, our gracious and merciful God. But, you know, when we look at the scriptures and we look at life, itself, we realize God is so magnanimous. He's so kind. He's so gracious. Uh, he's always there. Uh, and at times he's picking us up. I would imagine there were times that he intervened and he picked us up before we knew him. Even before we came to that place where there was a realization, you know, I'm a sinner, I need God in my life. He was there. Uh, he was there. And I, I, that's one of the things that that um, when Christ came into my life in my mid-20s, I began to look back and I just began to see that my life had been punctuated by God's intervention. But you can't see that until you come to Christ. You can't see his hand at work. Um, and it's only as, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us insight into those particular matters. You know, the scripture says that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's true of each and every one of us. Now, our text today, as we look at that, God is speaking to two different groups. He's speaking to those who have biblical truth uh, and those without it. And we see that particularly in verse 12, where he says here, as many as have sinned without the law or without really any biblical truth. And he's really referring basically uh, there to the law of Moses, um, to biblical law. Uh, we could refer to it also, too, as, you know, uh, the, the ultimate moral code. Um, he says, as many of us sinned with, without the law, speaking really to the Gentile world that's out there, will also perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So basically here he's first speaking to the person who uh, has no biblical knowledge. Yet, the Bible tells us here, and we read that last week, uh, that even though a person may not have biblical truth, because so often maybe the question that maybe we get from those who, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, challenge us regarding, you know, okay, if, you know, um, when we tell them that you have to receive Jesus Christ into their life uh, and so forth. Well, what about, you know, what about the aborigine? You know, what about the person that's way out in the jungle and that sort of thing? You know, what's gonna, God going to do about that particular person? And one of the things that we see here revealed to us in Scripture, that basically that God has spoken into that person's life. God has revealed, what's it, chapter 1, uh, I think it's verse 18 or 19. Uh, verse 19, it says, Because what may be known of God is manifested in them or to them, for God has shown it to them. Uh, and God has done that work in, in people's lives. God has spoken truth. 
uh, whether a person grows up within a Christian framework in a, in a, in a, in a nation where there's a biblical ethic, um, whether that person's grown up within a very uh, strong moral tradition within their family, uh, they've gone to Sunday school, but also, too, it's interesting because, remember, uh, the Bible speaks about that God has you know, placed light within our hearts. Uh, what is it? John chapter 1, verse 19, uh, where, where, where it speaks about that he enlightens, or he gives light to everyone who comes into the world. And that's why we've talked about it and mentioned it from time to time. Some people have a stronger moral compass than other people. Uh, and, and so God has given people sufficient truth, even if they don't have Bible truth, that God has spoken into their life. Uh, he has created them with a certain kind of moral compass, and basically they're going to be judged according how they treat that truth. Are, have they been obedient to that truth? And of course, anybody that has biblical truth has a higher responsibility, don't we? Uh, we have a greater accountability uh, because why? We've heard the Bible. We've read the Bible. We've studied the Bible. We've, we've, uh, we've, you know, we've heard it taught or preached, or whatever the case may be. And I think that, uh, you know, particularly when you think about America and every a church being practical in every corner, um, I mean, look at, the, look at the Christian publications that are available. Look at the Christian radio stations. We've got, what, three or four of them in Rochester alone? Uh, this, you know, this, you know, uh, average small city, um, and so when you think about God, is always, he's always dispelling his truth. He's always speaking, you know, into hearts and lives of, of people. And even those who would never even maybe darken the door of a church uh, or would open or crack a Bible, um, we realize that God has spoken to them. God has shown them truth in some kind of way where basically um, not only the Bible believer, but the unbeliever as well, that they're going to be accountable for the truth uh, particularly when it comes to the area of God's judgment. Uh, and it's important, I think, for us, too, um, that as we have heard Bible truth, that we live it out. It's not just a matter of, we're, we're not just reservoirs, okay, uh, where you know, we retain all this wonderful knowledge. And it's, it's kind of interesting, too, because you, one of the things I discovered, if we don't use what we've come to understand and read and know, we end up losing it. It's kind of like a, a physical therapy um, um, slogan. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't use your, your, your body, you don't use your arm or your leg, you end up losing it. It atrophies. And I think truth is like that as well, too, because it's, the Bible speaks about his, the truth of God is a living truth. And if we don't act upon it, so as we read the Bible, and as, you know, whether in your personal devotions are, we speak about these things together, I think it's very important that we're acting upon those things. Uh, that we're implementing them. And we're saying, Lord, help me to live out these truths. And I'll tell you what, living out the truth of the Bible isn't always an easy thing. Maybe some things will come easier than others, but there's going to be those kind of challenges that we have in our life that we're going to find. And, it, and, and you know, I remember Pastor Chuck saying this. He, he said uh, about faith, and, and we sort of take it for granted that, well, we got faith. You know, everybody's got faith and faith in something. But he, was, he made this statement about how, you know, our nature, and he was saying about himself, our nature is repugnant to faith. And isn't it true? When, when it comes to taking, a, you know, a step of faith and trusting God, it's a challenging thing. It becomes, I think, a little more easier for us, you know, as believers, because we've trusted him uh, to a certain, you know, up to a certain point, to this point in our life, however long it is we walk with him. So we, we've, you know, in a sense, we've uh, we've experienced God's favor, but there's something, there, there is a certain repugnance in us when it comes to faith. And, and God may speak, you may have known the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years, but God speaks something into your life that he wants you to act upon, and all of a sudden you realize this is a trial of your faith. It's a new trial of your faith because uh, you have to take a bigger step than you did before. Uh, so we find here when it comes to you know, living out the Word of God and the truth of God in the Bible, it's not an easy thing. Uh, and that's why we have the Holy Spirit. We have a what? An onboard helper. Uh, and that's why, uh, what's it, John chapter 16, the older version's comforter, the newer version's helper. He's our helper. Uh, he wants to help us. And, and we need to call upon Him to help us when we find oftentimes, you know, we come to an impasse, you know, in our faith 
um, and in something that we know that the Lord is leading us and guiding us uh, to do. Now he says in verse 13, for not the hearers, and, and again, uh, underscoring what we're saying here, not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And so basically he's reminding us here that judgment is rendered according to one's deeds at the end of one's life. It's not a, it's not a matter of how much information I retain about the Bible, but am I living it out? Uh, am I allowing God's truth to, to really work you know, in me? Uh, we were talking about this Wednesday night, uh, the need for there are certain things that are in us that need to die. Uh, Paul writes there in Colossians, you know, uh, the importance of, you know, mortifying and putting to death certain things. And that's not an easy thing, not an easy thing. And I was sharing with uh, our group here on Wednesday night, well, how do you do that? You know, how do you, um, how is it, you know, that there's this death to self and death to these desires? And, and there comes a point in our life as a believer, we just have to start saying no to certain things that we may like to do that we know they simply don't please God. That, that's how that process starts, that we basically cut that off. We say no uh, to that desire, that impulse, that temptation uh, that will come our way. Now, in verses uh, 14, he, he gives here you know, further uh, insight regarding how he judges both of these groups in a fair manner. Again, one group has, has the scripture, so that's special revelation. The other group has natural revelation, okay? We talked about that last week where there's a certain amount of um, insight and revelation that comes to a person. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that I shared, there was a point uh, when I was in Vietnam uh, that all of a sudden I was looking up at a star-studded sky and I realized that there had to be a creator. Uh, that was the first time I can ever remember uh, experiencing natural revelation. I was, in other words, I was seeing that in nature, uh, in life itself, that it just wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't coincidence that there had to be a creator. There had to be a mastermind. There had to be a superior being behind all that. And we call that natural revelation. And many people have that. But what we have this morning is we have special revelation. We have special insights that we get you know, from the Word of God given to us, imparted to us, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And again, like we said there in John chapter 1, verse 9, some people, you know, uh, God has given them a greater moral compass, um, you know, in their life where they say, well, you know, I just can't do that. I, I just, I can't, you know, I can't, I just can't do that. I can remember some of my friends at different times, you know, when, you know, when young boys or you know, teenagers are together and, and somebody has this harebrained idea. Um, I don't know if some, yeah, I know you guys can relate to this. And, and everybody's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like one or two guys says, I can't do that. I just can't do that. And, uh, you know, they, there was just that moral compass that they had um, that just wouldn't allow them, you know, to, to do whatever the goofy group wanted to do. But in verse 14, he says, for when the Gentiles, and he's speaking here to, primarily to Gentiles, to those who don't have special, you know, revelation. He's going to speak here to the Jews. Um, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature, do the things in the law, these, uh, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, uh, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, uh, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So again, uh, each one of these groups are judged basically to how they violated, how, how they obeyed the truth that they knew. Now he brings up the whole idea here in verses uh, 15 about the conscience. And the conscience is what? That inner voice. That inner voice that speaks to us. It either excuses uh, or, it, it, you know, it accuses us about a certain kind of issue. You know, sometimes it's like a prosecuting and a, and, and a defense attorney within your, within your head, you know. The, uh, you know, the one, and I can remember, too, the uh, uh, years ago, um, you know, back when cartoons were, had some moral value to them, um, I can remember the Dis some of the Disney cartoons, and there would be this little angel on one shoulder and a little, little red, uh, 
you know, caricature of the devil in his red leotards with his pitchfork and his, his tail and his horns and all that. And, and he's whispering, he's whispering, you know, it's, I think it's Goofy. I think I, think I remember Goofy, uh, one of the characters, uh, the Disney characters. And, and he's whispering in Goofy's ear, you know, you need to do it. You know you like it. And, uh, uh, and then the angel's over there saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. You know what's going to happen. There's going to be consequences, that kind of thing. And I think that, you know, it really depicts, you know, that conscience that we have. And sometimes, you know, the Bible's and conscience isn't always a true or perfect guide because the problem is, is the conscience can be seared. The Bible speaks about it. It can be seared. And that's the idea of, of if you took uh, a hot iron uh, and basically... Uh, put it on your skin, it would, it, would, it would destroy some of the sensitivity in your skin. And that's what happens, you know, within a person's life. And, and I think that, uh, you know, a person comes to a point where, you know, well, you know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I had a lot of, um, you know, moral instruction, you know, growing up in my home. And I know what my parents taught me, but you know what? Uh, this is a new day. This is a new age. Those kind of things are, they're, they're old-fashioned. They're, they're puritanical. Uh, and I think a lot of people go, you know, they, they, as they're uh, trying to excuse their conscience from convicting them or keeping them from, you know, doing certain things, you, you kind of just kind of talk yourself out of it. Um, and before you know it, the conscience doesn't speak anymore. It just sort of, it becomes dead. And I think we see that. And every one of us at one time or another have allowed that in our life. We've purposed that in our life. We've muted that voice, that inner voice, you know, of our conscience, of something that we knew, uh, that it violated a conviction, a conviction, a once-held conviction, uh, and so basically we dismissed it, uh, we allowed ourselves to be pressured or talked into uh, a, new kind of, a new kind of morality and so forth. And um, in the day he says, verse 16, when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. See, he knows all the facts. He knows all the secrets in our hearts and our lives. And I think, too, the Lord knowing that, I think he, he works in such a way to intervene, to intersect our lives, to keep us. He knows if we have a certain proclivity, a certain tendency uh, he knows if, how weak we are regarding certain things. And even I, I believe that the trials and the adversity and the things that we need to have in our lives uh, to hinder us, to stop us from you know, having our own way, doing our own thing, that God wonderfully brings those things you know, to, to pass in our life to help us. I think, you know, when we think about adversity, trials, any level, degree of suffering, we don't think of it in that kind of way. But God is... You know, God is, he's the perfect parent. Uh, and, you know, he knows exactly when to intervene, when to step in, um, you know, when to allow any opposition or adversity or pain or suffering or sickness. Uh, we know that he uses all those things. He is sovereign. And he can, you know, he can pull that card out of the deck and apply it to our life anytime he knows that we need it because he's the perfect parent. He loves us. And again, he knows all our secrets. He knows everything about us. It's not like he has to search deeply. He understands our frailties and our weakness. And so, um, you know, when some, when some kind of intervention takes place, we need to, you know, we need to say, Lord, what, what's going on here? Lord, give me insight. Lord, help me to understand. Um, one of the things that I have developed in my particular life, uh, when I find myself sick on my back, I, I'm talking to the Lord. Lord, what are you trying to show me? Lord, I know you slowed me down. I know you just gave me a time where I would be resting on my back, couldn't function, couldn't do what I wanted to do. Lord, what are you trying to say? And I just real, you just realize God is sovereign. He's the perfect parent. Sometimes we forget we committed our life to him. We, we turned over our life to him. And as the perfect God and parent in our life, that, that he intervenes, that he works things. And you know what? Uh, there's times where he, he's working things, and because we said, Lord, I belong to you, you can take my life, use it, do whatever you want with it, he doesn't always ask us permission. 
Can I make you sick, Ray? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. He's not asking that question. He knows when, when I need a trial or whatever it is, you know, in my life. And the beautiful thing, though, about God knowing all of our secrets because he knows all the facts, what he wants us to do is when we're aware of them, when the light of truth comes to bear on some area of our life like that, we need to, you know what? R rather than retain the secret, confess it. Confess it. You know, give it over to him. I, I love 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And it's a conditional, it's conditional, but it, it's conditional in one sense as related to us, but re as related to God, it's a great promise. That if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And He says, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And again, he's, as we read in verse 11, when it comes to judging the secrets of men, he's, he's, he's perfectly fair, and, and he judges according to absolute truth. He's, uh, he is very impartial when it comes to that kind of thing. Now, he speaks here, uh, he's referring basically to the Jews of his day because they had the scriptures there was a responsibility, there was an accountability that the Jewish people had, you know, regarding the truth that God had given them. Uh, and so in verse 17, he's speaking here to a religious group because why they simply have a high, higher, excuse me, moral standard. You know, we have a higher moral standard than the world because we've, we've, we, we, we know Christ. We read the Bible. We, we confess these things. You know, we talk to people about the importance of committing their life you know, to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility for that. We, 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 it's a great privilege, a tremendous privilege it is for us to know Christ. But with that comes a responsibility. He says, you indeed are called a Jew. And, and as we read these uh, next few verses, li listen to the confidence that's here in these verses. You're called a Jew. And again, this was a... To be a Jew was a tremendous thing. You know, we even today, we refer to them as the chosen people. The chosen race. I mean, we are too. But our salvation comes through the Jewish race. Remember, Paul spoke there, and he has been speaking to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Our Savior was of that race. They had tremendous privilege, and, and, and they, you know, they, they fully assumed that. Yes, we, we are, you know, we are God's people. We are Hebrews. We are Jews. And rest on the law and make your boast in God. In other words, there, does, there was a boasting there about their relationship with him. In a sense, we do that, don't we? In a sense, we boast that, hey, I know the Lord. Or the Lord spoke to me. And as a matter of fact, we're told that we need to make our boast of him. Amen? Amen. And know his will uh, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. You know, knowing his will, knowing his word, having discernment. Man, what a privilege. What an advantage that you have and I have. Anybody that's committed their life to Jesus Christ. What an advantage that we have to know the true and the living God and to have his help, to have his blessing upon our life. Do you know that your life was incredibly blessed this week? Perhaps maybe more innumerable, more times than we can count. I don't know if you believe me. <laughs> You're looking at me like, I was blessed this week, really? When? When? <laughs> You were. And I think God's blessings are, are just so incredible, so innumerable, that, that we, we can't even, we couldn't count them. And our comfort, verse 19, are confident that you yourself are a guide uh, to the blind. A light to those who are in darkness. Man, look at their confidence. You know, their, their ability to guide and counsel, to impact the lives of, of other people. What an incredible privilege. 
Uh, verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. And you know, when you look at this, you would think anybody would think this person is the total package if they had that. But you know, the problem was it was self-confidence. You know, we're to have a confidence, but you know what? It's to be a confidence in our God, in what He is able to do. And He does, you know, exceedingly above what we even ask or think. When we look at this particular group here, the truth is, you know what? There was a whole lot of pride and presumption that took place here. The other thing, too, about privilege, you know what, you know what oftentimes follows privilege? Basically, pride and self-righteousness. That's the danger. That, that was one of the dangers that the Jewish people had. You know, because God had chosen them, God had saved them, God had blessed the nation more than all the other nations. They began to, you know, they began to maybe just look at themselves in the mirror and think, you know, wow, we really are special, aren't we? You know, kind of a thing. But their specialness was because of him. And it's true of us as well. As we've said many a time, we're not better than anybody else out there. We're better off. Oh, how are we better off? We're better because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry, you know, at work within our lives. And you see, what, he was, what, what I think Paul is getting at, this kind of mindset, this kind of self-confidence, you know what it does? It produces Pharisees. I'll tell you what, I've never met a real Pharisee, but I've met some Christian Pharisees. You know, Jesus uh, with the, gives a little teaching here about this kind of a mindset. When he says two men went up to the temple to pray, now, they're both going to pray. And, and here is, the, you know, here is the, the holy righteous guy, the Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. Man, he was despised you know, in the whole culture because basically he was... He was representing the adversary, Rome, the enemy of the people. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Do you ever catch yourself thinking that? <laughs> yeah. Be honest about it. You know, you look at somebody, oh, man, glad I'm not like that, you know, kind of a thing. I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You notice a lot of eyes in there. He had, really did have eye problems. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The, man, the Pharisee wasn't necessarily wrong in all that he did. But his attitude was wrong. He, he didn't realize that he was a sinner. He, he didn't realize his own condition his own situation and i'll tell you what there's a great value in that there's a great value in understanding you know who we are uh, i think what what can happen to people in religious circles um is yet having frailties having you know certain tendencies and proclivities to kind of just cover them up Maybe out of fear, I don't want people to know I'm struggling with this. And I understand, we all understand that. But we need to confess it to the Lord. And here's what I've discovered. Here's what I have discovered in my own life. When I've got some issue that I'm struggling with, and I've, there's, there's maybe failure and all that, when I confess it to him and I get forgiven and get victory, I can tell anybody. It's no problem anymore. But until you get forgiven and cleansed, you can't tell anybody. You just, you gotta, you just gotta, well, you're still struggling with it. You're still wrestling with it. You, the, the pride gets involved. But there's something very wonderful about when the grace of God just sets you free 
and you confess it, and you get cleansed, uh, and then all of a sudden it becomes part of your, just part of your testimony. Oh yeah, this is what the Lord did for me, and thank you, Jesus. What a glorious freedom and blessing that we have when we do that. Now he says here in verse 20 again, having the form of knowledge and truth that's in the law. You know, many in our world today, they basically have a form of God, but you know what? There's no real power. All religion outside of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is just a form of religion. That's all it is. It's a form of a certain kind of knowledge, but it's not really based in truth. And it's only when we really have Christ on the inside is our power. Power over. You know, when I think about my greatest adversary, you're looking at him. They even got an encore. Now, he highlights here in verse 21 through 23 a very real danger for anybody that follows God. Do you know that when you walk with the Lord for a certain period of time, there's a certain danger? That's why sometimes you watch. And if you've ever known somebody that's walked with the Lord maybe 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and it seems to be they just kind of walk away. Kind of walk away from the things of God. And they walk into the world into a sinful lifestyle. I've seen that a number of times. It kind of it makes you scratch your head. It's like, what's going on here? What? That didn't happen overnight. That, that was a process. And there's a danger for you and I for those who follow God and those who handle truth. He says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach to a man that he should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who hate or abhor idols, do you rob temples? Do you steal? And Paul was seeing this, this kind of inconsistency that was taking place in religious circles and in, in, among religious people. And, and here's the danger. The danger is simply this, that we can become so accustomed to the things of God, we can become so conditioned to Bible speak and familiar with the truth that we can make these wrong assumptions that, you know what, I don't need to repent anymore. There's a danger with simply becoming familiar with truth. I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need to read the Bible anymore. I've got to read it through a couple times. I don't need to be in fellowship. And, and the problem is, is you can get to a point where people, people actually think that God approves everything they do. Maybe it's even happened to you somewhere along the way. Because when that's kind of happening, there's a drifting. There's a drifting away, you know, from the things of God. I don't need to be in church that much, you know. Every once in a while, you know, kind of a thing. I know the truth. And it's a dangerous kind of situation that takes place in our lives as God's people. Because, you know, it happened to Israel, and I've seen it happen to believers. Ezekiel speaks about it in his prophecy. It's kind of an interesting thing here that took place. And, and God is speaking here to Ezekiel. Uh, a few verses in chapter 33, uh, verses 30, uh, yeah, 30 through 32. And God said this to Israel, excuse me, Ezekiel. He says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you. Beside the walls and in the doors of their houses, they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear the word that comes from the Lord. Hey, why don't you come out? Let's, let's go to church. Let's listen to Israel. Excuse me, Ezekiel. He's speaking for God. 
got a good word. And so sometimes being blessed in a Bible study and agreeing with the truth, but walking away and forgetting it. You know, James spoke about that kind of person. They, 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 they see their face as a, you know, the, the man in the mirror. And yet they walk away and forget it. And here's what God said. So they come to you as, as, as people do. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. Wow. Is, it, is this a description of what goes on and has gone on in Christianity? For with their mouth they show much love, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Oh, the pull of the world. That, that the special interest that we have, and I was kind of thinking about it in my own particular life. What about if the Lord comes in and says to us, you know what? You, you've, got some, you've got some special interests. You've got some hobbies in your life. Um, I want you to let go of one of those. It's not a sin issue. It's not a sin issue. But what about if the Lord was to do that? That if he was to come and to speak to us about something that we enjoy doing, well, if you love me, just let go of that. And as maybe you're thinking about something that you like to do. Not so easy, is it? But it is amazing how many things can pull us away from God. Legitimate things. Not even sinful things. Legitimate things. You know, interest, hobbies, activities. And I'm not saying you have to give up anything. But I'm no different than you that when God speaks into my life and speaks into my heart, that would I be willing? Would I be willing to say like Samuel, yes, Lord, your servant hears? Because I always suspect, as I, as I, as I know him, he, he does that. He, he's done it in my life. And I'm, not, I'm not up here as some perfect specimen because I still have interests. I still have hobbies. But what if he was to speak into your particular situation and say, I want you to let go of that. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them, he says, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on the instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful. To be obedient. I think that's the biggest challenge in the life of any believer. Is this obedience to God. As God reveals himself to us. He says in verse 24, for the, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he was speaking here about the hypocrisy that was in the Jewish people. That people were seeing that. And you know, people can see our hypocrisy too. If we say something, we preach something, and all of a sudden our lives become inconsistent and, and hypocritical, and it causes the unbelievers to mock God. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a concern, it's a danger. I saw it happen not too long ago with a man, ordained minister, and turned his back on the Lord, turned his back on his family. And everything and all the people that he spoke to about Christ, all they spoke about was his hypocrisy. Now, in these last few verses here, 25 through 29, 
uh, he's talking and dealing with the, the, the issue of religious deception. Because religious people can be deceived. Just like we're talking about here, certain dangers. I can become so familiar, so accustomed to the truth. That I don't need to repent anymore. I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to be obedient anymore. I, I know that. <laughs> Oftentimes our children say to us, I know that. You ever hear that when you speak to your children? I know that. Now he's going to use this uh, ceremonial rite as an example to make a point uh, to these religious people, to the Jews. And the thing about religious folk is they oftentimes, uh, they, they try to find security in some kind of ceremonial rite or even some kind of, even some kind of religious artifact. I, I grew up with that. When I went to Vietnam, my mother gave me a St. Christopher's medal. She gave me a scapular and a bone chip of St. Francis of Assisi. <laughs> and I was glad to get all three of them. But you know, none, none of them saved me. The Lord saved me. But you know, it's amazing how people put their, their, their trust in those kind of things. And, and they were putting their trust, you know, the, the, the males anyway, the Jewish males, in the fact that they were not only a Jew, but they, were, they went through that, you know, that ceremonial rite of circumcision. And, you know, people can do it today because maybe they've been christened or baptized. Or they went through a Christian... I, went, I grew up in a Christian family, so I'm saved by osmosis, you know. I think sometimes when people sign up for church membership. I remember I, I, I received my first Holy Communion and my confirmation, but I was a son of hell. No doubt about it. Or, you know, even if a person, and there's nothing wrong with communion, nothing wrong with baptism, they're good things, but our hope and our trust and our faith are not in those. I think sometimes people, because maybe they give money. Maybe they give a lot of money, and that's a good thing to give a lot of money to Christian causes. But there's no security in that. Our security is in what? The Lord Jesus Christ. In what he has done for us on the cross. Because Paul, the point he's making, verse 25, yes, they had their, their outward a ceremonial rite, but he says also, too, they're a breaker of the law. And remember, you know, over in Deuteronomy 30, you know, God spoke about this very thing long before it had become a custom and people began to find security in it. For he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And there's many different symbolism, you know, symbols and, and uh, in ceremonial rites, but they point to something deeper. Baptism points to the fact that we have died with Christ and we are resurrected. And for the Jew, this whole ceremonial rite meant that God had, God had cut away. See, when we come to him, he cuts away where that carnal nature does not control us anymore. It doesn't dominate us. Yes, we can still sin. But there's a new power at work within our lives. And that's why, you know what? You need Christ in your heart. And we need to trust him and obey him each and every day, moment by moment. Again, it's not, a, not an external thing. It's about inwardly. What has he done you know, within our hearts, within our life? And so uh, wrapping this up in verses um, <clears throat> 28 and 29, he says, for he is not a Jew who is, who is one outwardly. Now, you'd better never say that to a Jewish person, okay? <laughs> Let him read it for himself, okay? 
Because we're not Jews. Paul's writing it. He, he, you know, uh, he's a Hebrew. Okay? Uh, he has a right to say that. Um, just don't tell a Jew he's not a Jew um, outwardly. Or he doesn't have Jewish DNA. He does have Jewish DNA. But we, you know, as we know, that doesn't save anybody. It's about faith. So he is a, he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And you see, that's the bottom line, to have God's approval. And that comes, you know what, when we offer our lives, we open up our hearts. Because I'll tell you what, religion can be just some external facade. And that's what religion is outside of Christ. But even sometimes in Christian circles, we, we know that within many of the denominations, there's, there's deadness. It's about having a living, vital relationship. And I'll tell you what, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you know it. The Bible says you're born again. And it's just like when you were born as a baby, you know what, you knew that. When you come out of mama's womb, you knew that. Everybody else knew it too. You were screaming. And when you're born again, he will come into your life. He will change your life. He'll alter your future. If you need Christ this morning, before we pray, I want to ask you to be bold. Stand up. We can pray for you. You need Jesus in your life. He hung on the cross. In the public for us, that we can stand up here among ourselves and declare, yes, Lord, you died for me. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for Nora. I thank you for Dick. I thank you, Lord, for their, their statement that they've made this morning. And Lord, that's a statement that we make before, before heaven and before hell. It's a statement that we make, Lord, because we realize, Lord, we can't live without you. We need you. And I pray for them both, that you would fill them, that you would help them, that you would strengthen them and enable them, Lord, to give you glory to live for your honor, to live for your name. Lord, we praise you. And Lord, uh, as we are now, the Lord, in this week before Thanksgiving, Lord, we're so thankful for knowing you. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, help us, we pray, Father, with all of our failures, all of our weaknesses, and circumstances, Lord, help us to live for Christ. Help us to give you glory. Lord, this holiday season, help us to be vocal. Lord, help us simply to open our mouth and to give you praise. Lord, before those, Lord, that we, that we visit with and meet with. So, Lord, we commit these matters to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.